Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where every Jojo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. <laughs> yeah, a lot of emotion in this episode. Be ready for it. This is episode 33, and we're reviewing part six, Stone Ocean, Prisoner of Love. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime, so you've been warned. Oh, deep breaths. We can do this. We can talk about this episode, which is probably one of the heavy hitters. Do we have to? <laughs> I'm excited to talk about it because I, I think it's honestly <laughs> my favorite of the 12 episodes that have released so far. And after reading the manga, um, there's a couple other moments that I think will be equally as epic. But as far as emotional trauma, this could be one of the one of the heavy hitters for sure. Yeah, I mean, it it was a great episode. It was a great climactic ending to this visitor arc. But I, I just got to quote Michael Scott on this. No, God. No, God, please, no. No, no. <laughs> oh, and I don't, man. That's more subdued than Michael's actual <laughs> quote. But right now I'm just I'm just out of emotion. Well, before we dive into everything, just a couple of quick reminders. Um as we mentioned before, Spotify ratings are now a thing. So if you enjoy the podcast, if you want to leave us a rating, um, please go to Spotify if you are a Spotify listener. I think it only works on the app right now on iOS and Android. Um, but as long as you've listened to 30 seconds of an episode of Strictly JoJo, which by now you would have met that criteria, go on the app and rate us using the five-star system that they have. It would help us out a ton, as well as you know sharing our podcast via word of mouth to anybody that you know that loves JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and loves podcasts. In addition to that, um, as of today's recording, we are two days out from the premiere of Attack on Titan, the final season, part two. And we will be bringing back our Attack on Titan special event, which is a review series following every single episode of this final season. And which that I think at the time of this releasing, the, f the first episode of part two will be out there. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's kind of this... funny. Like, so we're, we're kind of in the future. This comes out Monday, which will be one day after it premieres, at least here in the U.S. So, um, yeah, if you're also an Attack on Titan fan, feel free to join us over at Strictly Anime, our other podcast, because our Attack on Titan review series will kick off January 12th. So every Wednesday, you'll be getting review episodes of that week's newest episode of Attack on Titan. And then in JoJo news, still no update about the release for the next batch of episodes um, for Stone Ocean on Netflix, but I believe it either has aired or is about to air in Japan. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll get some sort of update from Netflix on when the next set of episodes are coming out or if they're going to do weekly releases. I don't know, but it just feels like it's been an eternity since we got the first 12 episodes. I think it's crazy that Japan is only now just watching Stone Ocean. Although if they had a Netflix account, I think they could. That's like it's true. it's to clarify it's premiering in Japan on broadcast TV. Um but I think if people have like a Japan Netflix account, they're able to watch it when the rest of us watched it on Netflix. Man, they must have very patient souls and must Japan. be really good at avoiding spoilers <laughs> on twitter and reddit and instagram <laughs> yeah although like i on twitter i saw a couple like reactions to the premiere and it seems like most of the japanese people are happy so good yeah 
we got to keep them happy. <laughs> yeah, they're the ones saying who created is, this. Yeah, saying this whole we as thing. if we have anything to do with the creation of Stone Ocean or the anime adaptation. Um, but yeah, going back to this episode, as I mentioned earlier, this I don't know this this definitely is my favorite episode of the first twelve that came out. I think largely because of the emotion that it drums up. There have been some really intense moments in JoJo. There have been some really impactful deaths in JoJo. There have been some um, just really emotional moments between two characters in JoJo. But I don't think anything has hit me as hard as this episode, specifically the moments between Jotaro and Jolene. Yeah, obviously the stakes are definitely raised by the end of this episode. And with everything that happened between Jolene and her father, um, she definitely has deeper skin in this game with his, I'll put it in quotes, passing. Um, I think this is like the first major death, again, quote unquote death, because I'd like to believe that he's there's a glimmer of hope that he's just in a coma, which I think he kind of is. You're looking at me very concerned. Yes, I think they, they confirm at the end of the episode um, that Jotaro is technically not dead, but he's essentially a lifeless corpse per what Emporio was saying happened to his mom because his spirit and his stand have been taken by White Snake, mm-hmm. which is why Jolene goes on this, uh, has a new goal in part six to retrieve the disc in order to save Jotaro. Yeah, um, but I think we haven't had such a significant impact on the Joestar bloodline since I want to say Jonathan's death in part one. Is up until this point, the, the JoJo's have been steady cruising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even though Jonathan's death, because we only experienced nine, uh, nine episodes? Yeah. Nine episodes with Jonathan. I mean, it was nowhere near as emotionally traumatizing as what happened in, in this episode. And what's crazy to me is, again, we get confirmation in this episode by the end that Jotaro is not fully dead, but yet it still feels as emotionally destructive as an actual death. That, I mean, to, to me, that that's very powerful to know that a character actually does have a chance of surviving, but you're still that distraught by what happened. I mean, he had that heartfelt speech for Jolene right after, or right before he succumbed to his wound. So, yeah, this hits very much like a death scene. On on the flip side of it, this is a Star Wars reference, um, my Star Wars reference for this episode, and this is spoilers for The Force Awakens if you haven't already watched it. I just thought his death was so unceremonious, kind of like... I'll say it, Han Solo being needlessly <laughs> chucked to oblivion in, in part seven or episode seven. Yeah, but I think it's I think the focus here isn't Jotaro's situation. It's yeah. the relationship change, the shift in the relationship between Jotaro and Jolene. So we'll, we'll talk about this in a little more detail when we actually dive into the episode because um, I do want to save it for when we actually get to that part. But I do want to open up, officially open up the debate here on Strictly JoJo. This is a, a debate that's been going around the JoJo community for years and years and years and years and years. And now that we have finally reached this point in Stone Ocean, the anime, I do want to open this debate up. And it will be an ongoing debate as we go through part six. But the debate is, 
is Jotaro a bad dad? <laughs> because knowing what we know now in the anime, I think you can easily argue that he's not the greatest father, but he's not a bad father. He's not like, ne- well, I don't know. Like he could be negligent in some ways, but he he essentially is not a bad father. And I, I firmly stand on that side of the debate. Um, and I know there's memes out there about like him caring more about dolphins or Koichi or whatever versus um, Jolene. But as more people watch the rest of Stone Ocean, um, I think it's going to be clear kind of what the situation is between Jotaro and Jolene and why he was such an absent father. So I'm going to open up that debate. Um, we'll talk through the episode. And then I kind of want to come back to that at the end of our discussion because I do have some notes here and, and my thoughts. Um, and maybe it'll come up sooner than that. But I do want to circle back to this. But what do you think? Should we officially open this up? I mean, I think this is just a running theme in JoJo about <laughs> people, certain characters being terrible fathers. But it's it's a very loaded question. And you kind of have to look at it from all angles, especially with uh, what Jotaro was intending in this part. Um but yeah, I think it would make it makes for an interesting dis- discussion throughout Stone Ocean. Um, so yeah, definitely open the floodgates. All right, there you have it. So um, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, last couple things I want to say before we get into it. This is the turning point for Stone Ocean. This is when things go from a hundred. Like they already went from zero to a hundred in the first episode. This is when they go from a hundred to like ten thousand in this episode, and it never slows down in a good way. You, you get this level of energy. Um, the story is so gripping, starting with Prisoner of Love, and then I feel like almost every single episode after that is just a roller coaster. Yeah, I mean, after the first four episodes kind of lay a foundation, or like episodes three and four kind of walk us into the meat of the conflict, this episode just throws everything at you at once. It it gives you Jotaro's quote-unquote passing. It gives you the introduction of White Snake. It gives you whatever those CDs are, um, and it just leaves you with so many questions uh, right at the conclusion. And it's not like overwhelming, but it is like it is a lot to wrestle with at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm mentally preparing, (laughs) (laughs) just processing everything in this episode is is a lot. And I want to say. I know I I don't want to keep bringing up Jotaro, but I had a feeling this would happen, and I think I may have been slightly spoiled about it during the JoJo streaming event because I think when they were talking to like the actors and I think the the director uh, that that one event, they mentioned like Jolene has to save her father who is currently trapped or something. And I thought that could have gone one of two ways. Either he's physically trapped by an enemy, which wouldn't make sense because Jotaro is like an OP stand user. He could just use Star Platinum to punch his way out of anything. Or that he he has succumbed to death, which again, he, he's not technically dead. And I'm going to keep saying that. He's lifeless. Yes. We'll call it that. <laughs> but man, I, I still can't believe they, they pulled this. Um, it, I think it was a necessary gut punch again for Jolene to realize how serious the situation is. Doesn't mean 
I like it. <laughs> you know what's interesting though is that part three, you get Joseph throughout the entire part, and he's there helping Jotaro. Um, he doesn't steal the spotlight from Jotaro, but he is there. Part four, you get Jotaro in a good chunk of Josuke's story. He's not there in every single episode, but he is there at least 50% of the time. I almost wish that they did the same thing with Jolene here, only because like how much fun would it be to watch an ongoing interaction between Jotaro and his daughter? It's a miracle the guy even has a child, <laughs> let mm -hmm. alone like, you know, spends time with her. So it would have been really cool to see, which is I think why I really appreciate and cherish this particular episode, because it's um, one of the few that we have in these first 12 that we get to see them interacting at, especially at this level. Um, but I also understand why they chose to incapacitate Jotaro so that it could be more of a focus on Jolene because Jotaro has been around for a long time in the Jojo lore. So mm -hmm. I almost wonder, had they done you know, a part three Joseph Jotaro kind of situation here in part six, would Jotaro have stolen the spotlight from Jolene? Because arguably when he appears in moments in, in episodes with Josuke in part four he kind of does steal the spotlight a little bit from Josuke because he steals the spotlight he is the spotlight exactly at the, the exactly end. <laughs> like Joseph's different because he's so different from Jotaro and he's so wild and out there and Jotaro was you know he, he learned from Joseph there there's a lot of mentorship happening there um but yeah I feel like maybe Jotaro would not have been easy to balance with Jolene if they were adventuring together I mean, hearkening back to my Star Wars reference, Han Solo was present for most of um, episode seven, um, again, until his character was unceremoniously taken out of the <laughs> script. Uh, but watching that, I never felt like he, he stole the spotlight. It, it was He was kind of there like as an interesting cameo for, for all Star Wars fans. And I feel like it would have been the same thing here. I know Jotaro has a different aura then ora, ora, ora. <laughs> oh god a pun. like a just a different like ambience about him compared to joseph and like he is grown to be one of the more popular jojo characters but i think there even though part four kind of felt imbalanced like i never thought that he overtook part four from josuke <laughs> until that climax and I, I feel like it would be the same thing here like we know that this is jolene's time to shine and he's they're just more as a supporting character as much as Joseph was in part three. Um, so yeah, it would have been great to see more of their dynamic, uh, there being Jotaro and Jolene's re uh, relationship. Cause I feel like it would kind of be like Logan and X 23. Um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Just <laughs> I, I would, I don't know. Like I, I would have loved it for anyone who does crave more of the Jotaro Jolene interactions. I recommend I say this with, you know, uh, an asterisk, but I recommend playing um, the JoJo PlayStation game, Eyes of Heaven. Um, it's not good, like just gameplay wise, it's not a good game, but the concept's interesting because they basically bring in, it's like a multiverse almost, they bring in all of the JoJo characters together in one game and they interact with each other and they acknowledge like what's going on, like hearing young Joseph talk with old Joseph is really interesting. So when you pair up Jolene and Jotaro, that's really fun because you get a lot of unique dialogue between the two of them being father and daughter. So um, I would recommend playing that if you want to get your your uh, Jolene-Jotaro relationship fix and not in a weird way. 
father-daughter relationship <laughs> fix. <laughs> going into like rule 34 Oh, territory. God, please no. <laughs> <laughs> With that all said, let's jump into our synopsis and discussion for part six, episode five, Prisoner of Love. It's time to awaken, my masters, as Daddy Jotaro and Jolene come, no pun intended, to their senses in the melting visitation room and use their respective stand abilities to escape. The pair plan their perilous prison break to a nearby beach where a Speedwagon Foundation submarine awaits their extraction, but not before Jolene rips Jotaro a new asshole for continuing the Jostar tradition of shitty fathers. Speaking of asses, John Galias shows up in prison guard disguise to break up the family therapy session, and Daddy Jotaro realizes that the apple-bottomed antagonist has been pairing up with a mysterious stand user the whole time to take down the kindred Kujols. The stand in question, Whitesnake, emerges from the shadows, and look what they did to my boy as he extracts two CDs of Superstar Platinum hits, and now that's what I call Jotaro's memories from Daddy Jotaro's face, causing him to slip into a coma. Realizing that you do care, Jolene sends Stone Free to put John Galias out of commission and delivers Daddy Jotaro's body to the Speedwagon sub to put those Joestar medical insurance benefits to good use. Instead of climbing aboard, Jolene decides to return to the prison and formally meets the baseball boy named Emporio, whose mother birthed him within the prison walls and was also a victim of White Snake's wrath vowing that she will remain in prison until she finds her dad's discs in hopes of pulling an evanescence and bringing him to life. Conversely, White Snake brings John Galias to death in a post-credits scene to tie up some loose ends. Easy come room, easy go room. And hopefully that's the last time I make a come joke in this podcast. <laughs> it's JoJo, I don't know. <laughs> it's probably going to come up and- Oh, God, come up. I, I got us. Okay. Anyways, now on to our next segment of the show. Is that a music and or fashion reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and or fashion? So first and foremost, we have the introduction of the stand White Snake. White Snake is a British rock band that was originally the backing band for singer David Coverdale a former member of Deep Purple. They are frequently featured on lists of greatest rock bands of all time by several media outlets. Those who are Office fans will probably know them best by their hit, Here I Go Again. I think Phyllis sang that for karaoke in the second season at Jim's party. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Um, And just a, a quick side note here with david coverdale again he was a former i think he was the former singer of deep purple um deep purple is actually a jojo reference in part four um with the stand highway star that was one of their songs so oh yeah the feet guy (laughs) (laughs) um and really quick i wanted to note the writing of gacked across white snake's body um, I don't know what gacked means. I thought it was a like a fashion reference. Um, but there was a an eagle-eyed Reddit user and someone who probably paid attention in science class that um A or yeah, G A C T are the components of DNA, uh glycine, adenine, cytosine, thymine. Um 
the Reddit user also mentions that the A is shaped more like a delta or a triangle that could open up potential spoilers for the remaining parts of Stone Ocean. So I'm not going to delve too much into that. But I find that the 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 gacked thing being like um reference to dna interesting and what i'm theorizing about uh white snake's abilities i used to think that gacked meant because before i realized that that stand was called white snake i always thought it was a reference to gacked the j-pop star but he spells his name g-a-c-k-t um he's like a, a really big j-pop star i think i actually saw him one time at an anime convention oh. <laughs> which is interesting uh but yeah, he he's not related to I don't think White Snake at all because it's not spelled the same. And also, Araki doesn't use J- Japanese band references; he uses uh, overseas ones. Yeah, you never know. Maybe he listened to Gact at some point and <laughs> just took out the K um, to, uh, to for work. copyright because yeah. it's in Japan. <laughs> um, a couple more music references. These are nuts as as prominent as white snake but the title of the episode itself prisoner of love is in reference to a song called prisoner of love um there are actually several different songs that are titled prisoner of love um including one by yutada hikaru i love that song um but though i think the one that is most popular is a 1931 song that was written by russ colombo clarence gaskill and leo robin um, this song was covered by a number of artists, um, Perry Como, The Ink Spots, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, and James Brown. So many of those big band swooners and then James Brown or James Brown. <laughs> it's it's a clever title because if you think about it, like not only are they in a prison, but Jotaro kind of becomes a, a prisoner in his own body or in these discs. And if you think prisoner of love, like, you know, Jotaro and Jolene care about each other because they're their family. I don't know. Yeah, deeper meanings. <laughs> um, the last music reference, and this is kind of stupid, is the CD. <laughs> Wait, why is that stupid? Wait, what is the music reference? The compact disc. Oh, the, like the, thing, the CD itself. Yeah, is, like the yeah. compact disc. Um, <laughs> because obviously in today's day and age, you don't see many people using CDs anymore for listening to music when you have all these music streaming services and which is funny because back when Araki wrote this like that was probably the main oh yeah the mainstay of of, of music and files which would be funny can you imagine if like white snake threw floppy disks instead <laughs> it would not be anywhere <laughs> yeah, near like, as that cool would just mean like this anime aged poorly but or like the, yeah. vhs tapes you just whip the <laughs> vhs tape at your face <laughs> it's kind of like when they use um vhs's and cowboy bebop although that that makes sense because they're way in the future um but that was created at a time when the vhs was still popular um, they even acknowledge that that's old technology yeah bebop. uh but here, here you can kind of see like jojo date itself a little bit because again the manga was written early 2000s this part takes place in 2011 which i guess was like the waning period of cds but yeah cd for those of you who do not know, stands for Compact Disc. Uh, it is a digital optical disc data storage format co-developed by Philips and Sony to store and play digital audio recordings. And they typically hold up to 700 megabytes of storage. I can't imagine we're that far removed from CDs. Like, I know they're they're kind of becoming outdated, but most video games, physical... I mean, you get them physically on discs when you buy them. 
Yeah. And Although you know, like they're... DVDs from from uh, you know, fucking stores whoever buys dvds still i'm looking at you you still buy dvds not really blu-rays well now oh, we call know. them like Blu-rays, dvds you know that that whole genre well no like yeah there's still discs out there blu-ray discs dvds which are what digital video discs but when's the last time you listened to a piece of music on on cd true i imagine if you're like <laughs> a hardcore fan of someone then you would buy their cds but they still right. sell them at like target and stuff yeah but i i figure the only people that are buying them are like true fans of whichever artists release those cds um just so they can have a physical copy of those albums um but yeah i just i just remember the heyday of of collecting all these cd albums you get like one of those cd towers in the corner of yeah your room. you put all the cds in there and they, they slide in just perfectly because they're they're measured to the the cd cases and stuff yeah or where my my dad would have a cd binder oh in yeah the his binders car, in his car you know for for long trips you just whip that out you know that's what white snake needs that's what poochie needs instead of hiding the discs in a tire and like a, oh, a tractor yeah. tire he should have gotten a binder <laughs> well it's got to be in a, in an inconspicuous place <laughs> cd binders too obvious um well, yeah, those are those are the references I caught to music in this one. No fashion references, but I'm sure that'll come up in the next couple episodes. Have we already talked about Emporio? Yes, I think we brought that up um, in episode three. Yeah, episode three. Okay, cool. Well, now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And honestly, I didn't catch any. Um, there are iconic moments, uh, specifically when Jotaro gets the discs in his face and then when he says, I've always cared about you. Or I think in the manga, it was translated as I've always cherished you. Um, but that's about it. So as far as actual memes, I don't know of any. But if any come up at a later point, I will let you know. Or if you know of any, let me know. I just want to start off with yeah, you know, the episode um, begins with Jotaro and Jolene realizing that they're in the dream, but then once it cuts to reality, you have these scene swipes, and then they look like the <laughs> like the dripping. <laughs> the oh, dripping when he's transitioning material. from dream to real world. Yeah, I just thought it was funny because going back to <laughs> like the cum jokes. Oh yeah, from the last episode. <laughs> with, okay, that, that's all I'll say. I just thought that was funny. That was a really stupid comment, but <laughs> we can get on with the real discussion. Well, to your point, we start off the episode in Jotaro's dream because Jolene is not wearing handcuffs um, and shouldn't know anything about Star Platinum, which Jotaro calls out right away. Um, I know in the last episode, we talked about the seating arrangement because uh, at the start of the visitation room arc, Jolene was sitting on the left-hand side of the table and Jotaro on the right-hand side. Um, I think we were just thinking too much into it because here in this episode, when they are back in reality, we see Jotaro on the left-hand side and Jolene on the right. I think they just, you know, were... If you're thinking about, like, camera angles, they just flipped it to the other side of the table because there are doors on either side of the visitation room. So it kind of answered our question from the previous episode. Um, I think we, we looked too deeply into that one. Um, and then we get the uh, return of that pensive music from part three when Jolene manifests stone free after Jotaro says manifest your stand. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. That's not the first time it's happened. It happened one other time in uh, part six. 
I think in like the first episode, but it's kind of cool that they brought that song back, but we haven't, I don't think we've heard it in any other parts since part three. No, I think part four reuses oh. some of the, yeah, some of the soundtrack from part three. Cause I, I remember hearing this at certain points. Do they reuse it in part five? Maybe it's because Jotaro plays a big part in these two parts and that's why that music comes back. I'm not sure in part five. I know they play other music, um, that's very Jotaro centered in part five. But for this one, I remember specifically hearing it in part four at some point. The song, by the way, or yeah, the name of the soundtrack is called Sekin or Clash, again, by the series composer Yugo Kano. Um, for anyone who's interested in knowing what the title of the song, or the song is at this, uh, at this scene. And um, I, I, to be fair, they do reuse other like Jojo songs in the different parts, but I think generally each part has its own soundtrack for for the l large part of it. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, there are like new pieces, especially later in this episode um, that they've composed, I think, for Stone Ocean. Well, in this moment, again, when Jotaro asks Jolene to manifest Stone Free, um, he then has a father of the year moment um, when he introduces Jolene to Star Platinum by punching her in the face, <laughs> which is, you know, it's, it's part of that debate on whether Jotaro is a good father or not. Um, but at least it worked. <laughs> it got them out of the room. Yeah. And I recently saw a meme on or a post on Shitpost Crusader subreddit that said, Something to the effect of like Koichi was basically KO'd after being elbowed by Josuke in part four and then was asking him to, to heal him. But then here, Jolene gets clocked in the face by Star Platinum. Can you only imagine like how bad that hurts? Um, but she's annoyed, but totally fine. Like she she's nowhere near as damaged as Koichi was after Josuke kind of like hit him. So the the whole argument was why does jo jotaro find koichi to be stronger than jolene because physically that's probably not the case i just thought that was interesting it was timely that i saw that that post um just before we we watched this episode i mean the, <laughs> the punch came out of left field but i think <laughs> the ends justify the means he did it to, to save his daughter instead of just simply i mean i they couldn't move so he couldn't like shuffle her out of the room yeah, um, and, like, she was pretty weak. I mean, she could barely wake him up with her string. So, yeah, it's not ideal. Uh, and he didn't warn her, but to be fair, she would probably argue with him if he did warn her that he was about to punch her in the face. So so it is what it is um, in terms of, you know, needing to do what you got to do to right. stay alive. And going back to Jolene being a strong person, after she escapes the room, not only – has she gotten herself out, even though she was so physically weak that she had a hard time manifesting her string to wake up Jotaro. But then she goes in and drags both Jotaro and the guard out of the room. So props to her for being very resilient, given everything that's going on. Really quick, since you mentioned Koichi, um, that the punch scene actually, now that I think about it, reminds me of a scene in part five. Because I think Jotaro tells Jolene to move like a couple inches before he punches her yeah it reminded me of when Jorno was facing that one um, enemy stand user and koichi was with him and he tells koichi to just move a little bit like oh and does like the head tilt thing yeah yeah like, i forgot about that <laughs> i feel like uh, there's a slight reference um there 
it's a Joe Star thing, you know. And then Jolene later tells John Gallier that she wanted to wanted to punch him at a certain angle so she could hook him on the right side of his chin or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's a Joe Star thing, you know. I don't know. Um, but then Jotaro uh, notices the human bone that Jolene shows him is a female pelvic bone, and that it was dissolved dissolved by acid. Um, a little bit of foreshadowing, but we don't have to wait long to find out that that's Emporio's mom's bone, um, that she was attacked by white snake. So it's interesting that they put that piece in there, but there wasn't a lot of mystery behind it because like 20 minutes later, they explained what was going on there. I'm surprised Jotaro knows human anatomy that well. He, he names the bone. It's like the sacrum, which yeah. again, it's just like in, in layman's terms, it's just the pelvis, but... It's funny that he calls it like specifically by the, that that bone part. Maybe the intention here is just to remind us of how brilliant and overall intelligent Jotaro is. He, he's a really smart character, arguably the smartest character in the entire JoJo lore. Well, with the anime. I don't know. We haven't been introduced to other characters in later parts. Um, so that, that was my rationale as to why they put that moment in there. Because, again, we didn't have to wait long to find out what, what that was all about. Yeah. Um, and then Jotaro tells Jolene that it's crucial she holds on to the pendant that she got at the beginning of the story and that he's going to break her out of jail, a la Joseph Jostar breaking Jotaro out of jail in part three. Um, so his, his goal has been clear since he arrived that she's being framed, there are people after them, and he is going to get her out of this prison. And he sticks to that ultimate goal. He then tells her that uh, the Speedwagon Foundation um is out there waiting for them on a submarine and we get continual proof that speedwagon is best waifu even years after his death because his foundation <laughs> is still very close with the joe stars and continues to protect them no questions asked still protecting them from the grave <laughs> from all things uh dio and stand users and hamon and whatnot um and then they continue running down the hall and we get the uh the big scene where Jotaro lets Jolene trip down the stairs. Um, she then mistakes him for wanting to help her stand up. And in my mind, like, that's just not how Jotaro is. Like, in reality, he wanted to protect the pendant, which, of course, would ultimately keep her safe. But another, you know, moment up for debate on whether he's a bad dad or not. Like, Jotaro doesn't, you know, he's not courteous like that. Like, it would be very out of character for him to say, oh, my God, Jolene, you fell down the stairs, you poor thing. Let me let me help you up. Yeah, I think here he was just so focused on the mission at hand that his daughter's safety was just uh, second priority <laughs> to him. But I think he, he knew, like, she was fine. Well, I wouldn't call it second priority. I think her safety was number one priority, but she's tough enough. I mean, look what she had just gone through. She's tough enough to handle a trip down the stairs, but she's not tough enough to lose that pendant and ultimately not be able to connect with the Speedwagon Foundation. No, yeah, I meant prioritizing in that moment. Like her physical well-being over her overall safety. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. <laughs> um, and in that moment, Jolene has a flashback to, you know, her mom arguing with Jotaro about why he's not there for her. She brings up, you know, the the time she had a fever or the time that she got arrested and how Jotaro wasn't there either. Um, and part of me just thinks, you know, does this hurt him inside? Because he knows the real reason he wasn't there was because he needed to protect his family from stand users. Um, but of course he doesn't say anything because he's not the type to be expressive like that. But you do see in the moment where... I think it's Jolene in the foreground and Jotaro a bit behind her. 
when she's harking on him about this, he has like a shadow over his eyes. Like he's standing there as he normally does, but with the brim of his hat, like his eyes are covered in a shadow, kind of signaling, you know, there's some there's some emotion there for the character. So Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's a slight hint that he kind of is hurt by what she's saying in that that moment. Like he realizes like what like the choice that he made in protecting her. And it's just remorseful that he wasn't a bigger part of her life. I think so. I think it's a combination Mm. of like him being um, him regretting not being there for her more, but also feeling a bit hurt knowing that the reason he wasn't there was because he was, you know, stopping stand users that would ultimately hunt down his family. Yeah. So I guess there it's like you have to kind of really define Jotaro's love for his daughter here. And like, it's more of a sacrificial love for her again, because he had to give up being that, that father to her because he knew there were bigger things at play. Whereas she thought like for him leaving he didn't love her at all because he was so busy with his work and to be fair they could have animated that scene and shown his eyes but the fact that they put a shadow over his eyes i don't know to me like just subtly hints at him taking that to heart a little bit um but again jotaro is not an emotional person as we see in the next moment because as jolene is yelling at him he's still aware of their situation their surroundings and immediately knows that something's off and says they're being quietly followed and then enters john golly ass is that what you call him john golly john golly ass (laughs) john golly apple bottom (laughs) really quick um as while we're still talking about this moment um especially with the flashback so i think Jolene mentions that Jotaro took a plane to Tokyo while she was off joyriding. I want to believe this is a reference to the events of part four. Is that what you think? Um, Yeah, probably. Right, because he flies to Tokyo and has to go to Moriocho. Didn't we get that same flashback a little bit earlier in the show where they said she was like 13 years old? Um, I'm pretty sure we saw the same flashback. Like when... When Actually, the visitation arc started, um, she got that flashback where, like, her mom was arguing on the phone, and they they said that she, or maybe I'm confusing that with um, when she was talking to her lawyer about previous uh, uh, charges against her, where she stole mm. a car. Um, so I'm wondering if we look at the dates of that, like if we if we calculate the um, the amount of time, if that would have aligned with the year that part four took place. Okay, so I I actually kind of did a little bit of math and. I'm now that I think about it, that probably her mentioning the the or Jojo's flight to Tokyo probably wasn't when part four took place. So I did a little bit of research. I found that Jolene's birthday is July first, nineteen ninety two, and just going off of the third OP for part four, I know part four takes place in nineteen ninety nine bizarre summer. <laughs> so. At that point, Jolene would have been seven. So she probably couldn't she, have taken a car. Well, I mean, yeah, or she you know could she, have. Yeah. I mean, you hear about yeah. that on the news that yeah. like some kid wants to go for a joyride, but I think they were referring to her when she was a teenager. So maybe it's mm-hmm. part five because at the beginning of part five, isn't he calling Koichi from Japan? Because like, oh, mm. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure their phone call between Jotaro and Koichi references that... Koichi had to go in place of Jotaro, and Jotaro was still back in Japan. Well, I could be wrong. 
part five, I think, takes place in 2001, so only two years later, which would put Jolene at nine years old. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Jotaro's from Japan, so maybe he oh, yeah, flies he back just, there yeah, frequently. Just for for work, right? Or maybe he's visiting To research the dolphins. He's hanging out with Holly, you know? I don't know. <laughs> um, also, just another random fact, because um, I wanted to do the math of this as well. Jotaro was born some time around 1970 or 1971. Araki actually never gave him an official birth date. I think he only lists him as an Aquarius, um, but never like a specific day. But if I'm doing my math correctly, he would have had Jolene when he was about 20 or 21. So very, very young father. I think, I don't know if this is uh, official lore, but I think people had speculated that Jotaro met Jolene's mom maybe in college when he was studying to be a marine biologist. Mm. So that would make sense. Um, although I, I believe in part three, Jotaro's age actually changes. Um, I don't know if it's only in the manga or if it's in the anime as well. Like he started off as 17, but then Araki kind of just switched him to being 18 all of a sudden, but not in a way that made sense. So it's like he's either 17 or 18. But he ends part three technically as 18. Yeah. I don't know. Either way, um, <laughs> it'd be great if Iraqi could give us an official timeline of, of JoJo because that would be very helpful. I think he's forgotten. Yeah, he'll just you. retcon everything. <laughs> why, why the history's all over the place right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, as the, the chase scene continues, Jotaro tells Jolene to head towards the window um, that he'll be the one to take care of John Gallier, um, which is you know important because as a father he's trying to protect his daughter and um doesn't want her in harm's way so he'll take care of the enemy stand user and then he uses the world to stop time the world star platinum star the platinum world. the world oh, yeah <laughs> it's like not the world well not like the stand the world but star platinum the world mm-hmm. to stop time um realizes white snake is behind them and that he he being jotaro is actually the target here they were just using jolene to kind of bait him out of hiding um, and then, you know, continues to choose to keep, continues to choose, chooses to keep his daughter safe in this moment, um, prioritizes her over himself by um, still leaping forward and doing his best to stop the bullets, but ultimately taking a couple of shots. You do care. And I know we talked about this before um, in the dream sequence where Jotaro gets shot by one bullet. Uh, one of John Gallier's bullets um, in the shoulder. And we were all like, well, that's obviously a dream because Star Platinum would have been able to stop that bullet as he has multiple times. Um, however, here with so many bullets, it is reasonable to think that Star Platinum cannot deflect all of them because this is similar to what happened in part three in the climax where he's fighting Dio. Dio stops time, throws a shitload of knives at Jotaro, restarts time, and Star Platinum is only able to deflect um, a chunk of the knives and the rest sta- the rest stab into Jotaro. So I think it's it's totally fine that Star Platinum can't stop all the bullets. But it was I think six bullets, wasn't it? Compared to like the the hundreds that Dio had uh, knives that Dio had thrown at him. True. I don't know. Maybe Jotaro and Star Platinum are a little rusty. <laughs> yeah, because I know that was the part, same. Yeah, part four. Where like he can't stop time for as long because he yeah. hasn't practiced it. Which I think like that's him like trying to live a normal life, right? Like he he lost some of his uh, time stopping ability because he had focused on being a marine biologist and probably starting a family and all this stuff. Um, so he, you know, in a good way, didn't have to use his stand as often. 
Um, I don't think here, though, he specifies the number of seconds. He doesn't even count the number of seconds, right, in part six? Uh, in this episode? Mm, I don't think so, no. Or even in the previous episode where he stopped time. He's, he stopped time twice before. Yeah, um, he never takes note of, like, the how much time has passed which is fine because it's not even real seconds anyway it's it's jojo logic where one second yeah. actually is like 30 seconds yeah they, they'll have like a, a two minute speech within the course of a second yeah <laughs> um and then we get to what is probably one of my favorite visuals um honestly it is my favorite visual in all of jojo um, and I think they adapted this entire sequence so well from the manga where White Snake comes out and hits Jotaro in the head with a disc. Um, it, it's been my favorite visual from the manga since I read it. And I've so badly wanted to get that, that panel framed, but I didn't want to spoil the, the part for you. So I held off on doing that. Although now I think I can go ahead and, and get that framed and put it up on the wall here in our podcast. Room. I remember one of the worst moments in Jojo history. It's so, it's so aesthetic. No, it is. It's a very it's nice so shot. It's so beautiful. And I have to say, I was a bit nervous about the anime adaptation, wondering, you know, how they would adapt that, that particular panel. They did a fantastic job. It is a one for one. It looks gorgeous. And now I'm kind of conflicted. I'm like, do I pick the manga version of that visual or do i pick the anime version of that visual to get framed on our wall mm, you know what fuck say... it let's do both well, <laughs> i'd say manga because it's it's probably has more of that artistic feeling to it not then, to say that the animation looks like shoddy in any way then do i get the black and white version from the manga or do i get the colorized version mm. actually i do really like the colorized yeah version the, the colorized i've seen the colorized it, it's very very tasty. Well, there you go. Now I have the green light to finally um, put that up on the wall in our podcast room. But yes, the adaptation of this whole sequence, the adaptation of that particular panel, fantastic. It hits so hard seeing it come to life in the anime. Um, and the music that's going on during this whole sequence is so intense. Yes, I think this is White Snake. And should I say his stand user's name yeah, now? Yeah, Poochie. It's fair game. Poochie Gangs. I think this is their shared theme. It's very simple. I think it alternates for the most part between two different notes, but it's just very haunting. It, it sounds like a death knell, like it's heralding death, and that's pretty much the case here with Jotaro. Um, it's kind of like <laughs> hearing you describe that reminds me of when you and I were in the car and then I played oh, I played Sashomaru's theme song from Inuyasha for you for the first time and you just you stopped and you're kind of like are we entering the depths of hell or something uh, like yeah, it's we entering the gates of hell yeah, yeah like yeah same thing here like it, this is Jojo hell that we're entering because Jotaro has has been defeated <laughs> um I also wanted to note that because we were kind of going back and forth about whose stand ability um, had, or whose stand had the the, the melting room um, ability. I like and, how you changed that to melting room. <laughs> yeah, okay, come room. <laughs> um, I mean, and, either way. <laughs> and yeah, I think the, now that I paid attention to this episode a little bit more, um, it, it is White Snake's ability because there's a shot earlier after Jotaro and Jolene escape the room, you see, um, I think it's White Snake's hand grabbing the prison bar and it's dripping and come <laughs> and then <laughs> here in acid <laughs> yeah okay I'll, I'll use acid now because i think people are probably sick of me using the other word but um then you see white snake fully appear before jotaro and he's dripping in that same acid so that, i think that's visual confirmation that there were two stand users john gallier 
his stand is still Manhattan Transfer, and now we're seeing one of White Snake's stand abilities, which is, or now we're seeing two of them because it. The first one was the acid, and the second one is this ability to extract CDs. What from are, What are the abilities called? Don't they have names? Kind of like yeah. um, Yoshikage Kira's three abilities, which is obnoxious that Kira has three abilities. Yeah. Um, let me go to the JoJo wiki really quick without spoiling myself too much. Um, oh, if you want me to do it, I can do it. Well, it's called here Melt Your Heart. Yes, that was it. Okay. And then the other one is Disc Creation, which oh, I, I guess that. is... You know, I think uh, White Snake is able to manifest a person's stand ability and their soul into disc format. I don't know how you're gonna fit 700 megabytes of <laughs> either of those, because I'm sure a person's soul would cost like gigabytes or terabytes or whatever. Jotaro's, yeah, because he has so much brain power going on. <laughs> but. Yeah, he he decided to use disk format instead of like a flash drive. <laughs> um, okay, so then uh, continuing with the chase scene, I don't even know if it's chase scene anymore, but um, Jolene uses Stone Free to deflect some of the bullets that John Gallier shoots um, at his stand. And similar to Star Platinum, she can't deflect all of them. So a good number of them hit Jotaro. I do appreciate this because it would be absurd to think that Star Platinum even with the world ability, could not stop all those bullets, but somehow, somehow Stone Free could stop all of them. So I appreciate that Stone Free is on an equal standing as Star Platinum. Um, and then Jotaro tells her to go on without him, again, prioritizing his daughter. And this, this is where the emotion really starts um, because he reveals that the pendant is a tracker for her location so that the Speedwagon Foundation submarine can find her. And this is the moment that it dawns on Jolene that her father actually does care about her, that he has been prioritizing her from the get-go, um, and that, you know, because he confirms that as well, he has always cared about her. Like, he actually goes and says that to her. And the look on her face, man, that's heartbreaking, because she's like, oh, shit, you were trying to keep me safe with this pendant the whole time, mm-hmm. and I was yelling at you. But to be <laughs> fair, Jolene didn't know, right? Like, she, right. he didn't tell her that. If he had told her that from the beginning the uh, interactions afterwards would have probably been a little more heartfelt. Yeah, it's kind of like, now it's my Harry Potter reference, like Harry is always kept in the dark about why certain things are happening in his world. And it's the same thing here. Jolene has no fucking clue what Jotaro is doing until this very last (laughs) moment. And it's all for these characters, like for their benefits. But yeah, it it still emotionally hits you real hard just seeing her realize how much her dad really does care for her. And I appreciate that they had her verbalize, whether it was in her inner monologue or physically verbalize it. Um, Not only that she realizes the pendant had a a true importance to her safety, but also that, that Jotaro sacrificed himself earlier when he, you know, jumped in front of her and took the the bullets and then had the, you know, the disc lodged in his brain and all of that. Because I think it's it leaves it not up for debate. Like, there's no way you can debate Jolene's realization in this moment because she actually comes out and says, these things have happened and now it's clicking for her. Um, but no matter what, Jolene refuses to leave her father and cleverly uses her strings to redirect the bullets from John Gallier's gun. Um, and then John Gallier, John Gallier says that they should have gone for Jolene first. And I really like that as well um, because this is an episode where Jotaro could easily steal the spotlight 
but this is a reminder that Jolene is just as strong as her father because, you know, like father, like daughter. Mm-hmm. And then Jotaro is a proud dad um, that Jolene truly follows her her Joestar blood. I think he says something to the effect of like, he knows the Joestar blood runs in her and that with her strong conviction, she'll be okay. So was that, because I know earlier uh, he mouths something and it's inaudible. That's, that's I think what the, he said. What he did say, yeah. okay. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure if there's something else that, that he said that we don't get to hear, I mean, it would be very, it would be very tormenting. Right. That was a quick turnaround to figure out what he was saying. But I mean, it's true. Like, like he mentions um, in the dream, even though he was not sure if it was just the dream thing, he sees Jolene caring about someone else's well-being with her wanting to save Emporio. And obviously that is a huge Joestar characteristic that continues to run in the blood um, now with Jolene's presence. And so I think it, it's great that he acknowledges that in his own daughter. And I think that's very telling of the Joestar lineage because all of them understand that this is their fate, um, especially Joseph. You know, he actually comes out and says multiple times in his part, part two, that this is the fate of Joestars and I, I'm, I'm willing to accept that. But they never stop at just accepting it. They actively want to help others. Um, so even though there's not as much talk about fate here with, with Jolene, I think maybe Jotaro hints at it when he is in the visitation room with her and is explaining the situation that like, this is what happens if you're a Joestar. Um, but that the fact that she's taking it a step further and actually of her own volition, wanting to help other people, Emporio, her dad, et cetera. Um, that's that to, to me anyway, is the, the stronger characteristic of the Joestar lineage versus just the fate of needing to to save the world every several years. Mm -hmm. Okay, deep breaths, because we are now getting to uh, the part that hurts so bad, and that's the entire beach scene, which to me was extremely heartbreaking. Um, And I think the reason being is we're sitting here seeing a daughter desperately try to save her estranged father after he sacrificed himself for her and after the rocky relationship they had and her coming to the realization that, yes, my dad actually does care about me. Um, she's panicking the whole time because his wounds aren't fatal, but his heart isn't beating. And she doesn't realize yet that it's because White Snake took his spirit. But the, the, the cream of the crop in this whole beach scene is the CPR moment because it, it lingers just mm. long enough for you to feel that tension. Like she's she's doing CPR and they're showing us different shots of the CPR and you're just sitting there like, come on, is it gonna work? Is it gonna work? Is he gonna breathe? Um, and then at the end, it's it's uh, it's no good. What I took note of is that she's doing CPR right above a bullet wound, and that was the way I took it is like Jotaro's a lost cause and just seeing her trying to deny that by giving him CPR. Was, it just made that even more heartbreaking. Yeah. Although the way I interpreted it, and I'm not sure if this is correct or not, because she said, kept saying that the bullet wounds are shallow, so he should not be so incapacitated, mm. was her not realizing that his heart is stopping because his spirit is gone. Um, but she's just kind of confused as to like what the fuck is going on in that moment. Yeah. And then you have her really pained scream. Which, uh, like, but it cuts to black first. It cuts to black and then it like shows her. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what a smart move. Like, because you get that dramatic pause, but it's intensely dramatic because you can't even see anything on screen. And you're like, 
what's going to happen? Like, is he going to somehow wake up? But no, he's he's still there on the ground. Yeah, and I feel like they could have gone the route that they did with part two um, with uh, Caesar's death and like Joseph's she's a moment. Oh, um, man. This still hits the same way, but it's I think it's more of an impact just hearing Jolene scream rather than seeing her crying her eyes out for her father. And I think it's it's a testament to how well Fairu's eye handled this moment because of like you can feel the pain in that scream. The pain, the frustration, the confusion, yeah. just all of it. And I I would still say that for me, the this scene is more impactful than the Caesar death. Not to say that Caesar's death was not impactful. Not to say that like Abacchio's death wasn't impactful or Jonathan's death wasn't impactful. But to me, so far in the JoJo story, anime wise, this is the one of the only moments that actually got got me choked up and still gets me choked up every time we watch this episode or every time I've seen this moment. Um, and again, the craziest part is that Jotaro doesn't even die. He's lifeless, but he doesn't even die. And there's still a chance that uh, Jolene can save him with the discs. That's how powerful this scene is. There is no actual death that happens, but it still feels more powerful to me than some of the other major deaths in the JoJo anime. Um, and I think it's because of the thought of them finally reconnecting as father and daughter, only to be immediately torn apart. Because um, you, you've spent all this time watching Jotaro's story, and you ultimately want the poor guy to be happy. He has a wife and a daughter, and yet he still cannot have the happiness he deserves because of fucking enemy stand users floating around out there. Yeah, I think story-wise, it makes sense why this this scene just rips your heart out. Um, <laughs> I think JoJo fan-wise, like Jotaro has been there since <laughs> kind of day one. He's been there for us. Yeah. Holding us gently, caressing our heads, saying yeah. it's going to be okay. <laughs> right. He's he's my quintessential JoJo. And like I said earlier, he's one of the m- most popular JoJo's out there. And so us watching it as the audience, obviously, like I, <laughs> I was so frustrated. Um, there were some tears welling in my eyes, but... <laughs> you were upset when we first yeah. watched this episode. I mean, of course, <laughs> I had to keep my mouth shut because I knew what was actually going on. But you were like, you were sitting there, your eyes were so big, and you kept saying, no way. You're like, no. You, yeah. you, you like couldn't handle oh, it. Come on, man. Like, <laughs> you were so upset. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, just it's okay. Just give it a second. There's still a chance. <laughs> yeah, but after all that's said and done, like you, I still got to pour one out for my boy. Like, that was... That was something I wish I never would have witnessed, but it's there. And I want to bring up one thing that I believe I mentioned um, at the start of the Stone Ocean Review series, that one of the most uh, important parts about JoJo, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and why it stands out from other anime, and I think why a lot of people are so emotionally connected to this story, is that it follows an entire family. Not only that, it follows an entire lineage. Mm. It's very unlike a lot of other stories in anime where, yeah, you might follow like a family member or two, or maybe you'll follow like two people as they grow up and, you know, I don't know, get married or whatever. But here you're following an entire lineage over decades and decades of events. Um, and all they're trying to do is is save the world and probably find some happiness. And I think that's why 
this just hurts so much more than maybe it would if it was a contained story where we didn't have Jotaro's backstory and we didn't have the backstory of the the Joe stars overall. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's a heavy hitter. Yeah. And to that point, these characters are kind of like family to us. It's yeah. Like losing your own family member. It's like the feeling you get with Attack on Titan, um, at least with our generation, because we grew up around the same rate that these characters were growing up. Or I imagine it's the same as you Harry Potter fans growing mm -hmm. up at the same rate as the characters that you're watching. Um, it just, it's relatable and it's emotionally impactful. I use that word a mm -hmm. lot in this episode. But moving on, um, after the beach scene, we get Jolene back in the prison talking to Emporio the same way kids do with cans tied to a string. And Emporio then reveals that the bone belonged to his mom, who was a stand user and had her stand and spirit stolen by White Snake and then basically rotted away as a lifeless corpse in the same situation that Jotaro is. Um, and he also reveals that she gave birth to Emporio in the prison. So. We assume that Emporio has been there his whole life, that he's never left Green Dolphin Street Prison. Did they ever mention where he got his uniform? I was thinking about that. I don't think in these 12 episodes they mention anything. And in mm. general, I don't recall um, in the, the manga. it's It was just a random thought. I, I assume someone probably smuggled in clothes or whatever. <laughs> he needs something to wear, that's for sure. Or if it's related to how he, uh, did he acquire objects in that, that room. Yeah, his stand is something along the effects of like, all right, like, I don't know. I'm going to have a hard time describing this. He can travel through time in a space and kind of be in that space as it was at a certain point in time. That was a really horrible way of describing it. But objects are still in there. He just can't use them or like consume them. So mm, even if okay. there was a baseball uniform in one of those rooms, he wouldn't be able to do anything with it. So I have no fucking idea where he got that okay. uniform. Okay, again, he probably someone probably just smuggled it in for him. Oh, just random, random thought that popped in my head as I was watching this scene. Well, with that same scene, Jolene also confirms that she's not going to leave the prison until she finds what she says, at least in the translations, Jotaro's murderer. Um, so she clearly still doesn't understand the concept of White Snake's discs. And then we get the moment with White Snake, and White Snake can talk. And my question is. Is that Poochie talking through his stand, as we've seen with other stands? Um, or is his stand sentient, like Sex Pistols? Because I think we talked about this before, that mm. as far as I'm aware, Sex Pistols seems to be the only sentient stand in the JoJo anime um, where the stand user can actually converse with their stand versus them talking through their stand. So I'm kind of curious about that. And I'm wondering... White Snake isn't like a long distance stand, is it? It kind of is. Oh, it is. Because he's, he's pretty far from Poochie. I mean, Poochie's in the general vicinity, but it's definitely longer range than these short range stands, like short range stands like Star Platinum, Stone Free, Crazy Diamond. Okay, I was gonna say like if Poochie was in within the vicinity, he's probably voicing these things, and it's just being like White Snake is being used as like the the speaker. We do get confirmation in part three um, during the boat episode where Jotaro gets pulled into the water, I think. Or maybe at some point someone's in water. I don't know. That stand users can communicate through their stands. It may have mm. been a different water moment in, in part three. But anyway, we get that confirmation that stand users can communicate through their stands when need be, almost like telepathy. So maybe that's what's happening here. But when we get to the later episodes, 
maybe we'll have confirmation on whether or not white snake is sentient or not. And this is where like going back to um, the whole DNA thing, the, like the GACT um, design on white snake. Like, I, I haven't read the entire manga of part six. So this is me just theorizing, but I'm thinking with the, the CDs, like now that um, white snake has star platinum, on, on one of the CDs. Jotaro mentions earlier, I think before he succumbs to his wounds, that stands can only be controlled by one user. Yes. But here it's clearly seemed like that uh, White Snake can just extract the stand from, from anybody. Uh, kind of like collecting the infinity stones for a gauntlet. And so I'm theorizing that White Snake is just collecting all of these stand abilities and putting them all together for an, like an ultimate stand user, which I believe he's just putting this all together for Dio. Like a like an all-for-one type like a, of thing in My Hero? Yeah, putting well, together the CD binder. <laughs> for, <laughs> so he can share his music with Dio? Yeah, and again, like uh, equating that with altering someone's DNA. Well, the so. moment that you reference is Jotaro realizing that there are two people working in together in yeah. the situation. It's not just John Gallier because no, yeah. one stand to one user. Um and we know I think I think in the episode that Foo Fighters gets introduced or right after that, doesn't Jolene try to put Star Platinum in her face and then she gets repelled back because it's too strong for her to take on? I don't remember that. We'll have to but... look. At, we'll have to pay attention to that part. I can't remember if it's because there can only be one stand per person, or if it's because Star Platinum is too strong of a stand to ex- to for her body to accept. Um, but we'll take a mental note and circle back to that. Yeah, I know. Like Jotaro was just mentioning that within his own logic, like what he knows about stands. But I feel like White Snake is unique enough of a stand, especially with this whole DNA kind of pattern to him that it might involve like shattering stand logic so that's my theory who knows if i'll be proven right or wrong well on that theme of things that jotaro said white snake states in this uh this final scene that where's my note on it um that jotaro said it's wonderful to be able to communicate something to someone and i'm like when the fuck did he say that is that even something that Jotaro would say? Because that does not sound like him at all. So I don't know if this is foreshadowing for something down the road, but I was like, I have no fucking recollection of Jotaro ever saying that, especially to Poochie or White Snake, Or even anywhere in this episode. I can't recall him saying So it. yeah, maybe it is foreshadowing. All right, take mental note of that one as well, because I was like, the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck is that? And then the episode comes to a close, and then you feel empty and hollow and upset on the inside. Well, they didn't include the distant dreamer credits. Like they just continued with the story through the credits here, making this feel like obviously it was a very impactful episode. But it would just have been so hammy to have experienced uh, the loss of Jotaro, and then it just jumps into this like bright blue ocean. <laughs> what have what would have been cool though? Picture this is. Jolene saying, um, you know, there's still a chance to save my father. I'm going back in there because the culprit is still in the prison and, like, her looking all badass. And then you get that slow burn of roundabout. That would have been good. <laughs> that would have been really good because it, it always shows up in, like, the best moments in parts one and two. Um, so, like, I could see that one playing out pretty nicely. 
I also want to call out um, the parallel with Jotaro wanting to save Holly's life in part three. Now it's Jolene wanting to save her father's life here in part six. Let's go, because let's be clear here, because the overarching plot, the true plot and goal of part six is Jolene saving her father. Not her trying to prove her innocence because Jotaro did that in one fell swoop. He's like, you were, you were framed. I got this already. Don't worry about that part. So, yes, she is on a mission to save Daddy Jotaro. And please do. <laughs> For <laughs> the love of God. Let's circle back then to the debate that we opened up um, in the beginning of this episode. Is Jotaro a bad father? Now, to your point, this could be interpreted interpreted in many different ways. You know, well, how do you define a bad father? To me, it's like... Is it justified for the fandom who the fandom that has not read part six manga um, to constantly harp on Jotaro saying that he's a shitty father, that he doesn't care about his daughter, that he cares more about Koichi, all those those memes that come along with that. So, yeah, he's not a perfect dad. I'm not saying I certainly acknowledge that some of the stuff that he does is like pretty sus. But in the grand scheme of things, is he like a, a shitty father? Um, I, I again would say no. Um, because as we watch this whole Jotaro arc in Stone Ocean, they baited us until the moment it dawned on Jolene that her father actually does care when, when he gives her the pendant and explains what the pendant is for. And in the time that we've experienced Jotaro over this anime, Jotaro has never, ever, ever been one to express sentimentality or emotion or even just his own opinion well not his own opinions but his his thoughts on certain things and it's a wonder how he even found a wife and had a child so it's kind of expected based on his character that he won't show much emotion to his daughter um but where where he lacks in communication um or like communicating his emotions he does make up by by showing his care and his intent through his actions, especially in this particular episode. So like, yeah, he let Jolene trip down the stairs, but it's because he knew that the pendant breaking with a GPS tracker would be far more detrimental to his daughter's safety than tripping down a few stairs, right? Like, yeah, mm -hmm. he punched her in the face with Star Platinum, but that's way less detrimental to her overall safety than melting away in this room full of acid <laughs> so i don't know like i feel like he he cares he just has a really weird way of showing it i guess the best way that i can put it is jotaro has shitty parenting skills but he is not a shitty parent there you go that that's a fantastic <laughs> way to describe it actually I mean, to be fair, his dad was kind of absent because he was traveling around playing his jazz band and all that shit. And Holly babied the shit out of him. So he doesn't have, like, you know, a strong example to go off of. And then another family member shows up, Joseph Joestar, and he's not exactly the greatest dad ever, although he loved the shit out of Holly. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I don't know. He he's a he's a proud dad overall. Jotaro is because at the end of this episode, he does smile, which is fucking rare for Jotaro to smile. Um, and then he says, you know, to Jolene, he's always cared about her, and he acknowledges that she'll be fine because she's a Joe star and she's a strong person, and he's just a proud father. When are the other times he smiles? Isn't it in part... Well, he laughs in part three when they all go crazy. That part, um, and then when they say goodbye to Polnareff. Yeah, at the very That end. really poorly animated smile where he looks just so cursed. <laughs> yeah, and very then, few instances, but... Does he ever smile in part four? 
I, I can't remember. Well, anyway, we, we saw another rare moment in this this episode where he, he gave us a smile for his daughter. Yeah, I get the fatherly love is there. It's just that his love manifests in different ways where Jolene wanted more of a direct parental love with him being around, but his was just more of the sacrificial love, like the bigger picture of what he wanted to do to actually protect Jolene. And to expand on that further, I don't blame Jolene for feeling the way that she feels and, um, you know, reacting the way she reacts to kind of reuniting with Jotaro because she was kept in the dark about everything that he was doing. But on the flip side of things, I also don't blame Jotaro for keeping her in the dark because the whole point of him being absent was because he was probably going around the world battling stand users and needed to keep his distance from his family because as we know in the JoJo story, stand users attract other stand users. I mean, even Josuke's mom um, is put in danger because of an enemy stand user. Holly, I mean, Holly's like indirectly put in danger because of Dio. Um, But yeah, I mean, there is too much risk, I would assume, for Jotaro to stay too close to his family. And that's kind of heartbreaking because he has a family and he doesn't get to spend time with them because he needs to be be distant from them in order to protect them. That's a really, really fucked up situation to be in. Such is the woe of the Joe stars, I guess. <laughs> yeah, those poor Joe stars, man. Um, but as we continue through this story and, you know, if, if more like flashbacks or moments are revealed, we'll keep bringing up this debate on, you know, is, is Jotaro a shitty dad? It's pretty clear, I think, what our stances are, but it's still kind of fun to reflect on that as we learn more about his relationship with Jolene or lack thereof. But for now, let us not think of Jotaro as a shitty father, but as a glorious hero as we enter as our... a lifeless body. <laughs> <laughs> as we enter our final thoughts for part six, episode five, Prisoner of Love. What did you think about how they treated my boy? <laughs> I I fucking love this episode, straight up. Like I, I won't I won't try to sugarcoat it. It's Probably one of the most uh, emotionally impactful, again, I've used that phrase a million times, emotionally impactful episodes um, that I've ever experienced in JoJo. And I, I just, I live for those family interactions across the entire Joestar lineage. And this particular family interaction is just so incredibly special when you spent this much time with a particular character and you're just rooting for their happiness from the get-go. So yeah, I, I've never been choked up before watching JoJo until I saw this episode come to life in the anime adaptation, and it was spectacularly done. It was such an intense episode, and it sets the um, it sets the pace for the rest of what we're experiencing in the first part of Stone Ocean. What about you? Why they have to do that to my boy? <laughs> <laughs> that aside, though, it, it is a terrific episode. Um, I know it was needed for Jolene's growth and her character development because, of course, this is her part and her time to shine. And I think Jotaro, though it wasn't graceful, passed the torch on to her um, in this episode. And now she is is renewed with glorious purpose um, to take a cue from Loki and, and finally having the, the true conflict at hand. Um, Speaking of which, that just opens up this whole Pandora's box of questions about who White Snake's stand user is, what he intends to do with those CDs. 
Um, so this episode was jam-packed with a lot of action and just story building for the rest of part six. But why'd they have to do that to my boy? <laughs> I don't know. Ask Araki. Send a strongly worded letter. Send a, a strongly painted picture to Araki. <laughs> <laughs> He's too busy working on, was it part nine now? Part 10? Jojo Land. Jojo Lands. Which part is that now? Part nine. Okay. So you could care less about my ranting letter to him. <laughs> and thankfully, like the next episode gives a little bit of breathing room and some comic relief to kind of cope. Is it Hermes? Yeah, it pivots to Hermes and how she got her stand. But still, why they have to do that? Hermes is boy. a great Joe bro. So I am very excited <laughs> for the next episode. As am I. And with all of that said, thank you guys for joining us, especially for this emotional episode four. Is this the fourth episode? This is the fifth episode. The fifth episode five of Stone Ocean. Um, I, I, I'm curious to know if any of you are as emotionally distraught as we are after watching this. Feel free to reach out and let us know. But we appreciate you joining us once again for another review episode of Stone Ocean. And that wraps up episode 33 of Strictly JoJo. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday during the Stone Ocean Review Series. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and on this emotional episode. You'll also find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcasts for anime reviews and discussions. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everyone. <laughs>